Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You have found me at my little corner of the internet. This is Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. And today I've got an awesome guest on the show, my friend Steve Dace, who's the author of The Faucian Bargain. This guy has uncovered a lot of things about Father Fauci that are going to make the hair on your neck stand up. This is going to be a series of interviews that you're not going to want to miss. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So before I get going today, a couple of things, you guys. I'm going to be at Teach Them Diligently in Mobile, Alabama, coming up on the 6th through the 8th of May. So come on out and see me. And then after that, I'm going to be traveling to Florida for the FPEA convention. If you guys are interested in where I'm going to be speaking, you can find out more information at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash events. All right, you guys, I'm excited today to have Steve Dace on the show with me. I've been following him for a long time. His brand of snarky conservatism really won me over several years ago, and I was thrilled to see him come out and tell the truth about one of the biggest players in the whole coronavirus scamdemic that we've been talking about now for over a year. And the Fauci and Bargain just came out. I went ahead and bought it read it, could not stop reading it on an airplane. And you guys are going to love this book. And I'm so excited, Steve, to have you on the show. Welcome. Hey, Heidi, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Apologize in advance for uh, a bit of a large Marge impersonation. The allergy season has hit us here. In Tampa, so I'm suffering there, but uh, we'll, we'll power through nevertheless. You sound pretty good. I'm impressed. I mean, for someone who's uh, surrounded by pollen and allergies, I think you sound pretty good. We're good. Thank you. Hey, I've got a couple of questions just right out of the gate here. When, so we can, we can talk about why you wrote the book, but what I'd really like to know is when did you smell a rat? When were you like, something, something's not right? So uh, I was sitting in my man cave at my house on the night of March 16th of last year. And we had just announced the 15 days to flatten the curve. And I'd watched that entire press conference and I, I went and read the Imperial College survey that really is what inspired, I guess we'll say, a lot, all the Western democracies to shut down. And this is where a lot of the mitigation efforts that we are talking about now were discussed as ways to push back on this, that if Western uh, democracies didn't do this, you know, in the United States case, we'd have 2 million deaths, for example. And I read it and, you know, I just, my heart just sunk and I'm thinking upstairs and I'm like, wow, you know, this is really going down. This is really going to happen. And I don't, I don't claim to hear the audible voice of God a lot, but I, I heard in the back of my head, a still small voice tell me that I, I needed to Google and research Imperial College and, and global warming. So I did that. And boy, howdy, did a treasure trove of information come up, including the name Jeremy Grantham, who is one of the biggest benefactors uh, at Imperial College. He's one of their Miss Havishams, if you get the literary reference. And um, he's also a billionaire that's given about 80% of his wealth away to stopping what he considers to be the 250-year bubble caused by fossil fuels. I also found uh, a far less publicized accompanying piece Imperial College put out shortly after their survey on and model on COVID that um, uh, that encourage the West to now adopt basically a, a proto version of the Green New Deal, you know, move back to the mid uh, 19th century. And, and that this was time for basically a great reset, given 
what COVID was going to do to our lives. There's an entire wing at Imperial College named after him. So I went, I went back with that in mind. I, I just went back and read through the, the model again. And it was really just like, you know, scales falling off my eyes. Just, I'm not looking at it emotionally. I'm looking at it logically. And from the very beginning, the model says they don't know how COVID, they're not sure how COVID has spread. Well, then why in the Sam Hill are we taking dictates from you when you admit about the spread of COVID, when you admit you don't know how it spread? Is it, in, is it droplets? Is it airborne, et cetera? Is it an aerosol? And, and then what I found too, uh, on top of that, that evening was the amount of academics that were also pushing back on this. You know, I, I learned a name that I've used several times in the last year plus, uh, Dr. Sunitre Gupta at Oxford. The Oxford, that's the number one university in the world. She's with their Center for Evidence-Based Medicine. She's one of their epidemiologists there, one of their professors. And she's in the pages of the left-leaning economists talking about how the Imperial College model is garbage. She can't believe that Boris Johnson is doing this. And then I found scientists from all over the world, Johnny Anides at Stanford, Martin Koldorf at Harvard. I mean, these are elite academic places in the world that were like, what are we doing with this? This Quarantining the healthy, we've never done that ever. That's not how you fight an, an outbreak, a plague. And I, so I would say that evening is, is where kind of the genesis of what the last year plus of our show has been and kind of helping to lead the charge and pushing back on this. It actually predated Fauci and began with the model. You know, the, the UK was actually going to follow it first. And then Niall, Niall Ferguson encouraged Boris Johnson to change his mind. And Boris Johnson has lost his mind, uh, I would argue, ever since. Yeah, yeah. So it was really that night that I dug in to the Imperial College model. And I think the thing maybe a lot of our audiences don't understand with data models is, is I'm not great at math. I, I got good grades and everything in school except math. But but models are not math. Math is the result of the assumption of the modeler. Every Models don't happen organically via osmosis. They're not spontaneous. They're programmed. And someone has to be the programmer. There's always a worldview bias every time. And I explain it to my audience this way, Heidi. We took a tour of the of the Grand Canyon. And, and we had the world's leading geologist guiding us through the Grand Canyon and explaining the sediment formations and things of that nature. We would, we would not presume to argue with them. We would, that's why they're the tour guide. We brought them along, right, for their expertise. But then in, if, if at some point in the middle of that tour, if, if they turn around and say, and of course, we all know that this happened because uh, a billion years ago, a single-celled protein and an amino acid just collided and, and created a big bang. And now billions of years later, here we are. That's when we're going to be like, uh, I, I object. Because now we've crossed the line from your expertise to your worldview. And I definitely am qualified to debate you on your assumptions because it's your assumptions that guide the math for many modelers. The math doesn't guide the assumptions. And when the, and when the, when the, when the assumptions and the applications aren't congruent, your model is junk and the Imperial College model is junk. Same thing happened with the IHME model from the University of Washington that you could do a whole book about how wrong that one was. These models, everything has all been wrong because the assumptions are all wrong. Doesn't account for human, the, the human immune system, doesn't account for human ingenuity 
just assumes we are completely and totally defenseless, just assumes we won't practice any mitigation efforts or anything on our own. It makes a lot of assumptions that just aren't true. Well, now that we've now that we've gone down the rabbit hole and we're a year into this thing, I just saw yesterday in the news the governor of Oregon taking Oregon back to the very beginning. She wants to lock it all down again. No more than six people in a health club at any given time. She wants to lock the restaurants down. You know, I've been telling my audience this year since April of last year. I'm like, something in my spirit is so troubled by this. And yet we're watching the masses just go along with it. It's why you're, that's why you're, that your spirit is troubled. I said this to my audience several times last year. Even before we had real-time data that showed this was bunk, I just said there's something about this that just isn't right, okay? And and now we have all the real-time data to quantify that this was all an overreaction from the beginning. And even if you want to give governments the benefit of the doubt and at, the, for, at the beginning and say, hey, you know, you can't trust China, so it was safe to overreact at first. You know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but, you know, I'm fine if you want to say mercy triumphs over judgment in the moment there. But we're a year past into this, and as Morgan points out, we've got more footnotes in this book than than pages. I didn't just show up, show up in the Valley of Elah with five smooth stones, Heidi. I, I found there, Heidi, with with the, with the receipts. You know what I'm saying? I got I came with references, citations, and in the end, you have a control group in Sweden. Last year, Sweden had eight percent higher excess deaths than its previous four year average, doing almost no mitigation efforts at all with the lowest mass compliance in the European Union. Every other country in the European Union had 12 to 18% higher excess deaths than its previous four-year average. A study came out just last week that showed the UK's total mortality increased 10 times higher than, than, than Sweden's did last year. In the UK with one of the worst lockdowns in all of the free world. All the data is there, and, and yet this continues. And I think because... You can only rely on, well, they're dumb or they don't want to admit they're wrong. That's probably true for some. But uh, this sort of holistic planetary version of this, it's, it's like a conditioning. It's like you're being conditioned for a mark to come in the future. You're being conditioned to accept a global reality with the abandonment of all critical thinking, fealty to the state in the future. Because stupidity and political arrogance doesn't explain the fact that all of the most technologically advanced free nations on earth, to some degree, with little exceptions, and then within the United States, you have control groups like Florida, for example, my home state of Iowa would be another. But with very those limited exceptions, all of the freest, most technologically advanced nations on earth are all buying into this flat earth voodoo. So... I don't think you can just explain that away with mass stupidity. Mm-hmm. And you pointed out, I mean, Fauci, obviously, you know, the the focus of this book and of your investigation, which I just thought was stellar. I mean, I, I literally couldn't put it down because I'm like, yes, that's what I thought. And it's so great to see you come with all the evidence. But you point out in the very beginning, this dude has been full of all kinds of contradictory opinions from the get-go. So at what point does the, and here's, here's kind of what I want to know. So we, we can sit here all day long, like I've been doing for, you know, a year, over a year now, it sounds like you've been doing the same thing. And we talk about what's wrong. Where do we go from here? 
so we know now that this guy, I've been calling him, you know, Father Fauci for a long time because we're, it, it, this is like a cult. It's very weird to me. And it's, it's not almost, like a cult. It is a cult. Yeah. 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 So what, what, so what, what do we do? Well, we're going to have to do some things that we have become too soft to do. And, and I think that we have to understand that the spirit of the age, that's what's really propelling this, I believe, is the spirit of the age. And I think it violates our sort of left-right political paradigm. It's, it's why I've got the feminist author Naomi Wolf live tweeting my book favorably while she reads it in real time. Bill Maher, the atheist uh, host of Politically Incorrect on HBO, did, a, did a, a, a rant two weeks ago on the difference between Florida and New York that's like almost right out of my book. I think what we're up against with the spirit of the age that critical thinking from any direction will not be permitted any longer. And I, I think that we have gotten lazy as Christians here. This, this, this Western Christendom, you know, the United States is really the only country ever founded on inspiration of biblical principles. And from a, with, that included a New Testament view of the world as well. And so I think there's this almost time of Jeremiah-like compliant or complacency, you know, where Jeremiah warned the people and they're like, well, you know, that's the, the temple is there. You know, I've got to make Israel great again bumper sticker on the back of my wagon with, you know, what do you mean we're going to be smited? We're, we're still mm-hmm. than the Edomites. We're better than the Philistines. That won't happen to us. And I, I think that there is some of that complacency within the American faction of Christendom today. And... I think they're going to have to learn the lessons of men like Polycarp and Telemachus or the civil rights struggles of the 1950s and 60s. I think people are going to have to get, you know, if I get one more email from some bro dude after he's done with his, you know, Planet Fitness workout, emails me about how he's all ready for the civil war to come and then masks up his two-year-old to take him to a Costco. and Dude, you ain't ready for anything, bro. Nothing. Ready for nothing. You're a serf. You're a slave. All right. You got biceps, which just makes you even worse of an excuse for being a slave. You have to get used to the term civil disobedience. This is what government by the consent of the governed in the Declaration of Independence. This is what it means, Heidi. Ultimately, if you believe in the sovereignty of God and you live in a free country, then you have as much tyranny as you are willing to comply with. Period. End of sentence. And we're going to have to understand what Romans 13 does and doesn't mean. 13 does not mean we do whatever the government says. If it meant that, then why did Nero cut Paul's head off? Somewhere along the line, Paul must have not done something that Nero liked. Otherwise, he would have still had his head. Give honor to those whom honor is due. There's some honors that the state asks for, you know, that whole render under Caesar that which is Caesar's thing. But what happens when the state says, render under me that which is God's? We obey God and not men instead. The reason why they list that long train of abuses in the Declaration of Independence is those 13 colonies were all founded, but one, they were all founded by, originally chartered by a, a vestige of the Christian church. The only one that wasn't was Rhode Island, and it was founded to be kind of a neutral place where Christians of various denominational differences were permitted. The rest of them, though, had direct ties to vestiges of the Christian church, and some of those vestiges, like the Quakers in Pennsylvania, did not believe it was right to revolt against government. And so they, they had to make the case within themselves that following King George 
would be disobeying God. Complying to this with this level of tyranny would be in disobedience to God. They had to make that case to one another for them to be unified on revolution. The data, the children are not vectors for the virus. They are not where adults get infected, nor thankfully are they vulnerable to this, like we saw in the past with polio or Spanish flu, for example. You're engaged in an open form of idolatry, not to mention you're choking out your child and, and violating their immune system by covering up, making them re-inhale their own bacteria. And it's also for a device that doesn't work. There is no real-time data anywhere on planet Earth that masks work. They don't work. That's why you haven't worn a mask every flu season of your life. That's why you don't wear a mask during a fire and smoke particles are actually larger than the airborne particles of this virus. They don't work. They're either a tool of the political class making it look like they're doing something, or it's just a control. It's a talisman. It's an idol for a spirit of the age, paganism. And so I think we just have to, frankly, we have to grow a spine here. And we're going to have to say a magic word that the church has not said to this culture very much in recent times. And that word is no. Yes, no. that's right. We're not doing this anymore. Drag us away. And and I and 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 can I say this too? I want to say I, I'm I'm sorry to the wives and moms listening to this. I'm I want you to know, man. I am berating the men on my on my show daily. If I see one more brave woman walk into a Rite Aid without a mask by herself, I'm going to lose my cotton pick in mind. Where are the men? Where are where where, where are the five or ten men that are like you know what? We're all going in together to Walmart today. We're going to dare them to to call the police on all of us. We don't think they'll do that. Where are the men? Where are the men? And I think that until we say no, the answer from the spirit of the age will be, you were made to be ruled. Well, I, I'm, I'm almost uh, speechless, which for me is difficult. But uh, I have to tell you, one of the first things I said to my husband at the very beginning of this because we had to get on a plane to go somewhere. And that was the, you know, the very beginning when they wouldn't let you go without a mask. And now they're even worse. And I told him just tears in my eyes. I said, it breaks my heart to see you put that thing on your face. It breaks my heart. Something is terribly wrong. And I said, I just got done speaking in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, did a similar thing just yesterday in Austin, Texas. And I said the same thing. Where are the men of valor? Where are the men of courage? And frankly, uh, we've spent, you know, and you can blame a lot of this on feminism, really. We've spent the last three generations feminizing our men and telling them that we don't need them. And they were the butt of every joke on every sitcom in the the 80s, right? And in the 90s. And in some aspects, I would say we're paying for that now, big time. Uh, We're really paying for it. But the fact remains that we have a crisis of courage in this nation, And I've been telling people via my podcast, you know, for over a year now, it takes courage to walk into a store and not have a mask on. It takes courage to be able to stand up and say, no, I don't need that. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Why would I put a mask on my face? I'm not sick. And I got to tell you, Steve, you're right. It's mostly the women that I see in the stores without the masks. I rarely see a man walk into a store without a mask, if hardly ever, except for my husband and you, if I saw you. I think, you know, there's lots of different ways that we all have our different personalities. Um, I understand it's hard, you know, in our line of work, we get asked to speak at places. It's hard not to fly. 
I get that. You know, could you at least get a mask that could we could you at least get a mask that demeans the mask? Something that has a sheep or something on it. Could you at least embarrass the shibboleth before we eat the meat to idols? Can we at least point out to everybody in the room, you know, this is a powerless idol, right? I mean, can we can we at least get some Isaiah, Elijah level of mockery? I don't know. Maybe Baal's taking a crap. At which end of the wood do you do you worship and which end do you burn? As Isaiah said, the mocking of Baal on the toilet as Elijah did. Can we at least do that? It's like nothing. What, what, what threw me off really a lot last year is the amount of emails I got from people. My governor's forcing me to be locked in my home. You own all the guns. No one, why, how, are the, how is the government forcing the people who own all the guns to do things they don't want to do? What did you think the original purpose of that Second Amendment was? The hope, it's there so that you'll never have to actually use it. But the more and more that we comply with these things, the more and more we are likely to hand off to our children and grandchildren a civil war, or maybe what could even be worse than that, losing them to the spirit of the age when they see they're not any different. There's nothing to defy. There's no, there's, there, there's no one to stand in the gap. Compliance is the, is the ultimate virtue. Acceptance is the ultimate virtue. You know, Telemachus left the stands of, a, of, a, of the gladiator games, interrupted them, and, and begged the people of Rome to stop. They stoned him to death right there in the moment. But the gladiator games did stop shortly thereafter when people were horrified at what happened to Telemachus. And, and the reality is we're not really willing to suffer for like anything we believe at all. And our belief system is bathed and birthed in suffering. Christ is the suffering servant who suffered more than he did at the cross. So it's, it's ironic that we believe a belief system bathed and birthed in suffering will somehow be sustained in a culture without any suffering whatsoever. Good news for everybody in this audience. On the, on the rate we're going, the way that we are emboldening the spirit of the age to continue to bully us. If you are unsure, if you are up to suffering for what you believe in, if you're like, man, I just don't think I have what it takes, I bring you today glad tidings of great joy. You are going to find out because the spirit of the age doesn't fear you at all, doesn't fear us at all. We're a speed bump. They're not ashamed. It's not a shame to step to us on any level whatsoever. It mocks us openly like Goliath in, at the Valley of Elah. Because we just sit around, we sit around the valley wishing someone would come along and confront this giant for us. So the mockery will get worse. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to the point that it will then no longer wait until we don't comply to make us suffer. It will, for, it will offensively make us do so, to continue to encroach upon us. So my old man, in between uh, beating me growing up, did teach me a few valuable lessons. And one of them is why there was no back door at the Alamo or why there was so much bravery at the Alamo because there was no back door. If those men could have escaped and lived to fight another day, they likely would have when they had better odds. They had to fight to the last man right there because there was no other way out. Since we won't fight now when we still have some advantages, the good news is we're going to get to fight later when we don't have those advantages anymore. 
I hope you guys are enjoying this interview with Steve Dace. I was very encouraged to have him on the show. He is a truth teller and he is unafraid. And I'm telling you what, as we have mentioned before, we are the real pandemic in this nation is a crisis of courage. And we're going to come back tomorrow and Friday and continue this conversation. I hope you guys will share this with your friends. I hope you'll listen to it with your spouse. We must start telling the truth. We must have a commitment to to the truth and to not bearing false witness against our neighbors. So we're going to come back and pick this up tomorrow. In the meantime, remember that next week I'm going to be at Teach Them Diligently in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, we are very excited about what's going on here at the show. You guys know I have a brand new podcast called America's Town Hall. I will link to that in the show notes today. That will be focused almost entirely on political conversations and what's happening in our culture. And we're going to have awesome guests on there. It's it's my opportunity really to talk about the political side of things in the culture, which has been a passion of mine for many, many years. And so I hope you guys will subscribe to that. I'll link to it in the show notes today. It's called America's Town Hall with Heidi St. John. Have a great day, everybody. And I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at momstronginternational.com.